Chapter 5 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sailing of the Tonquin, a rigid commander and a reckless crew, landsmen on shipboard, freshwater sailors at sea, lubber nests, ship fare, a Labrador veteran, literary clerks, curious travelers, robinson crusoe's island quarter-deck quarrels falkland islands a wild goose chase port egmont epitaph hunting old mortality penguin shooting sportsmen left in the lurch a hard pull further altercations arrival at owyhee on the eighth of september eighteen ten the tonquin put to sea where she was soon joined by the frigate constitution the wind was fresh and fair from the southwest, and the ship was soon out of sight of land and free from the apprehended danger of interruption. The frigate, therefore, gave her godspeed and left her to her course. The harmony so earnestly enjoined by Mr. Astor on this heterogeneous crew, which had been so confidently promised in the buoyant moments of preparation, was doomed to meet with a check at the very outset captain thorne was an honest straightforward but somewhat dry and dictatorial commander who having been nurtured in the system and discipline of a ship of war and in a sacred opinion of the supremacy of the quarter-deck was disposed to be absolute lord and master on board of his ship he appears moreover to have had no great opinion from the first of the persons embarked with him he had stood by with surly contempt while they vaunted so bravely to mr astor of all they could do and all they could undergo how they would face all weathers put up with all kinds of fare and even eat dogs with a relish when no better food was to be had he had set them down as a set of landlubbers and braggadocios and was disposed to treat them accordingly Mr. Astor was, in his eyes, his only real employer, being the father of the enterprise, who furnished all funds and bore all losses. The others were mere agents and subordinates who lived at his expense. He evidently had but a narrow idea of the scope and nature of the enterprise, limiting his views merely to his part of it everything beyond the concerns of his ship was out of his sphere and anything that interfered with the routine of his nautical duties put him in a passion the partners on the other hand had been brought up in the service of the northwest company and in a profound idea of the importance dignity and authority of a partner they already began to consider themselves on a par with the metavishes and the mcgillivrays the frobishers and the other magnates of the northwest whom they had been accustomed to look up to as the great ones of the earth and they were a little disposed perhaps to wear their suddenly acquired honors with some air of pretension mr astor too had put them on their mettle with respect to the captain describing him as a gunpowder fellow who would command his ship in fine style and if there was any fighting to do would blow all out of the water thus prepared to regard each other with no very cordial eye 
it is not to be wondered at that the parties soon came into collision on the very first night captain thorn began his man-of-war discipline by ordering the lights in the cabin to be extinguished at eight o'clock the pride of the partners was immediately in arms this was an invasion of their rights and dignities not to be borne they were on board of their own ship and entitled to consult their ease and enjoyment medougal was the champion of their cause he was an active irritable fuming vainglorious little man and elevated in his own opinion by being the proxy of mr astor a violent altercation ensued in the course of which thorn threatened to put the partners in irons should they prove refractory upon which macdougall seized a pistol and swore to be the death of the captain should he ever offer such an indignity it was some time before the irritated parties could be pacified by the more temperate bystanders such was the captain's outset with the partners nor did the clerks stand much higher in his good graces indeed he seems to have regarded all the landsmen on board his ship as a kind of live lumber continually in the way the poor voyageurs too continually irritated his spleen by their lubberly and unseemly habits so abhorrent to one accustomed to the cleanliness of a man-of-war these poor fresh-water sailors so vainglorious on shore and almost amphibious when on lakes and rivers lost all heart and stomach the moment they were at sea for days they suffered the doleful rigors and retchings of seasickness lurking below in their berths in squalid state or emerging now and then like spectres from the hatchways in capotes and blankets with dirty nightcaps grisly beard lantern visage and unhappy eye shivering about the deck and ever and anon crawling to the sides of the vessel and offering up their tributes to the windward to infinite annoyance of the captain his letters to mr astor wherein he pours forth the bitterness of his soul and his seamanlike impatience of what he considers the lubberly character and conduct of those around him are before us and are amusingly characteristic the honest captain is full of vexation on his own account and solicitude on account of mr astor whose property he considers at the mercy of a most heterogeneous and wasteful crew as to the clerks he pronounced them mere pretenders not one of whom had ever been among the indians nor farther to the northwest than montreal nor of a higher rank than barkeeper of a tavern or marker of a billiard-table excepting one who had been a schoolmaster and whom he emphatically sets down for as foolish a pedant as ever lived then as to the artisans and laborers who had been brought from canada and shipped at such expense the three most respectable according to the captain's account were culprits who had fled from canada on account of their misdeeds the rest had figured in montreal as draymen barbers waiters 
and carriole drivers and were the most helpless worthless beings that ever broke sea-biscuit it may easily be imagined what a series of misunderstandings and cross-purposes would be likely to take place between such a crew and such a commander the captain in his zeal for the health and cleanliness of his ship would make sweeping visitations to the lubber nests of the unlucky voyageurs and their companions in misery ferret them out of their berths make them air and wash themselves and their accoutrements and oblige them to stir about briskly and take exercise nor did his disgust and vexation cease when all hands had recovered from seasickness and become accustomed to the ship for now broke out an alarming keenness of appetite that threatened havoc to the provisions what especially irritated the captain was the daintiness of some of his cabin passengers they were loud in their complaints of the ship's fare though their table was served with fresh pork hams tongues smoked beef and puddings when thwarted in their cravings for delicacies said he they would exclaim it was dashed hard and they could not live as they pleased upon their own property being on board of their own ship freighted with their own merchandise and these added he are the fine fellows who made such boast that they could eat dogs in his indignation at what he termed their effeminacy he would swear that he would never take them to sea again without having fly-market on the forecastle covent garden on the poop and a cool spring from canada in the main top as they proceeded on their voyage and got into the smooth seas and pleasant weather of the tropics other annoyances occurred to vex the spirit of the captain he had been crossed by the irritable mood of one of the partners he was now excessively annoyed by the good humour of another this was the elder steward who was an easy soul and of a social disposition he had seen life in canada and on the coast of labrador had been a fur trader in the former and a fisherman on the latter and in the course of his experience had made various expeditions with voyageurs he was accustomed therefore to the familiarity which prevails between that class and their superiors and the gossipings which take place among them when seated around a fire at their encampments stuart was never so happy as when he could seat himself on the deck with a number of these men around him in camping style smoke together passing the pipe from mouth to mouth after the manner of the indians sing old canadian boat songs and tell stories about their hardships and adventures in the course of which he rivalled sinbad in his long tales of the sea about his fishing exploits on the coast of labrador this gossiping familiarity shocked the captain's notions of rank and subordination and nothing was so abhorrent to him as the community of pipe between master and man and their mingling in chorus in the outlandish boat-songs then there was another whimsical source of annoyance to him some of the young clerks who were making their first voyage and to whom everything was new and strange were very rationally in the habit of taking notes and keeping journals 
this was a sore abomination to the honest captain who held their literary pretensions in great contempt the collecting of materials for long histories of their voyages and travels said he in his letter to mr astor appears to engross most of their attention we can conceive what must have been the crusty impatience of the worthy navigator when on any trifling occurrence in the course of the voyage quite commonplace in his eyes he saw these young landsmen running to record it in their journals and what indignant glances he must have cast to right and left as he worried about the deck giving out his orders for the management of the ship surrounded by singing smoking gossiping scribbling groups all as he thought intent upon the amusement of the passing hour instead of the great purposes and interests of the voyage it is possible the captain was in some degree right in his notions though some of the passengers had much to gain by the voyage none of them had anything positively to lose they were mostly young men in the heyday of life and having got into fine latitudes upon smooth seas with a well-stored ship under them and a fair wind in the shoulder of the sail they seemed to have got into a holiday world and were disposed to enjoy it that craving desire natural to untravelled men of fresh and lively minds to see strange lands and to visit scenes famous in history or fable was expressed by some of the partners and clerks with respect to some of the storied coasts and islands that lay within their route the captain however who regarded every coast and island with a matter-of-fact eye and had no more associations connected with them than those laid down in his sea-chart considered all this curiosity as exceedingly idle and childish in the first part of the voyage says he in his letter they were determined to have it said they had been in africa and therefore insisted on stopping at the cape de verdes next they said the ship should stop on the coast of patagonia for they must see the large and uncommon inhabitants of that place then they must go to the island where robinson crusoe had so long lived and lastly they were determined to see the handsome inhabitants of easter island to all these resolves the captain opposed his peremptory veto as contrary to instructions then would break forth an unavailing explosion of wrath on the part of certain of the partners in the course of which they did not even spare mr astor for his act of supererogation in furnishing orders for the control of the ship while they were on board instead of leaving them to be the judges where it would be best for her to touch and how long to remain the choleric macdougall took the lead in these railings being as has been observed a little puffed up with the idea of being mr astor's proxy the captain however became only so much the more crusty and dogged in his adherence to his orders and touchy and harsh in his dealings with the passengers and frequent altercations ensued he may in some measure have been influenced 
by his seamanlike impatience of the interference of landsmen and his high notions of naval etiquette and quarter-deck authority but he evidently had an honest trusty concern for the interests of his employer he pictured to himself the anxious projector of the enterprise who had dispersed so munificently in its outfit calculating on the zeal fidelity and singleness of purpose of his associates and agents while they on the other hand having a good ship at their disposal and a deep pocket at home to bear them out seemed ready to loiter on every coast and amuse themselves in every port on the fourth of december they came in sight of the falkland islands having been for some time on an allowance of water it was resolved to anchor here and obtain a supply a boat was sent into a small bay to take soundings mr mcdougall and mr mackay took this occasion to go on shore but with a request from the captain that they would not detain the ship once on shore however they were in no haste to obey his orders but rambled about in search of curiosities the anchorage proving unsafe and water difficult to be procured the captain stood out to sea and made repeated signals for those on shore to rejoin the ship but it was not until nine at night that they came on board the wind being adverse the boat was again sent on shore on the following morning and the same gentleman again landed but promised to come off at a moment's warning they again forgot their promise in their eager pursuit of wild geese and sea-wolves after a time the wind hauled fair and signals were made for the boat half an hour elapsed but no boat put off the captain reconnoitred the shore with his glass and to his infinite vexation saw the loiterers in the full enjoyment of their wild goose chase nettled to the quick he immediately made sail when those on shore saw the ship actually under way they embarked with all speed but had a hard pull of eight miles before they got on board and then experienced but a grim reception notwithstanding that they came well laden with the spoils of the chase two days afterwards on the seventh of december they anchored at fort egmont in the same island where they remained four days taking in water and making repairs this was a joyous time for the landsmen they pitched a tent on shore had a boat at their command and passed their time merrily in rambling about the island and coasting along the shores shooting sea-lions seals foxes geese ducks and penguins none were keener in pursuit of this kind of game than macdougall and david stewart the latter was reminded of aquatic sports on the coast of labrador and his hunting exploits in the northwest in the meantime the captain addressed himself steadily to the business of his ship scorning the holiday spirit and useless pursuits of his emancipated messmates and warning them from time to time not to wander away or be out of hail they promised as usual that the ship should never experience a moment's detention on their account but as usual forgot their promise 
on the morning of the eleventh the repairs being all finished and the water casks replenished the signal was given to embark and the ship began to weigh anchor at this time several of the passengers were dispersed about the island amusing themselves in various ways some of the young men had found two inscriptions in english over a place where two unfortunate mariners had been buried in this desert island as the inscriptions were worn out by time and weather they were playing the part of old mortality and piously renewing them the signal from the ship summoned them from their labours they saw the sails unfurled and that she was getting under way the two sporting partners however mr mcdougall and david stewart had strolled away to the south of the island in pursuit of penguins it would never do to put off without them as there was but one boat to convey the whole while this delay took place on shore the captain was storming on board this was the third time his orders had been treated with contempt and the ship wantonly detained and it should be the last so he spread all sail and put to sea swearing he would leave the laggards to shift for themselves it was in vain that those on board made remonstrances and entreaties and represented the horrors of abandoning men upon a sterile and uninhabited island the sturdy captain was inflexible in the meantime the penguin hunters had joined the engravers of tombstones but not before the ship was already out at sea they all to the number of eight threw themselves into their boat which was about twenty feet in length and rowed with might and main for three hours and a half did they tug anxiously and severely at the oar swashed occasionally by the surging waves of the open sea while the ship inexorably kept on her course and seemed determined to leave them behind on board the ship was the nephew of david stuart a young man of spirit and resolution seeing as he thought the captain obstinately bent upon abandoning his uncle and the others he seized a pistol and in a paroxysm of wrath swore he would blow out the captain's brains unless he put about or shortened sail fortunately for all parties the wind just then came ahead and the boat was enabled to reach the ship otherwise disastrous circumstances might have ensued we can hardly believe that the captain really intended to carry his threat into full effect and rather think he meant to let the laggards off for a long pull and a hearty fright he declared however in his letter to mr astor that he was serious in his threats and there is no knowing how far such an iron man may push his notions of authority had the wind writes he unfortunately not hauled ahead soon after leaving the harbour's mouth i should positively have left them and indeed i cannot but think it an unfortunate circumstance for you that it so happened for the first loss in this instance would in my opinion have proved the best 
as they seem to have no idea of the value of property nor any apparent regard for your interest although interwoven with their own this it must be confessed was acting with a high hand and carrying a regard to the owner's property to a dangerous length various petty feuds occurred also between him and the partners in respect to the goods on board ship some articles of which they wished to distribute for clothing among the men or for other purposes which they deemed essential the captain however kept a mastiff watch upon the cargo and growled and snapped if they but offered to touch box or bale it was contrary to orders it would forfeit his insurance it was out of all rule it was in vain they insisted upon their right to do so as part owners and as acting for the good of the enterprise the captain only stuck to his point the more staunchly they consoled themselves therefore by declaring that as soon as they made land they would assert their rights and do with ship and cargo as they pleased besides these feuds between the captain and the partners there were feuds between the partners themselves occasioned in some measure by jealousy of rank mcdougall and mackay began to draw plans for the fort and other buildings of the intended establishment they agreed very well as to the outline and dimensions which were on a sufficiently grand scale but when they came to arrange the details fierce disputes arose and they would quarrel by the hour about the distribution of the doors and windows many were the hard words and hard names bandied between them on these occasions according to the captain's account each accused the other of endeavouring to assume unwarrantable power and take the lead upon which mr mcdougall would vauntingly lay down mr astor's letter constituting him his representative and proxy a document not to be disputed these wordy contests though violent were brief and within fifteen minutes says the captain they would be caressing each other like children while all this petty anarchy was agitating the little world within the tonquin the good ship prosperously pursued her course doubled cape horn on the twenty fifth of december careered across the bosom of the pacific until on the eleventh of february the snowy peaks of Owyhee were seen brightening above the horizon End of chapter five